Today's guest has a message for dads. Ben Colloy helps dads to live up to be the kind of father that they're meant to be. We'll get into this interview right here on the Manlyhood Mancast. Warning, applying these principles may change your life. People will look at you differently. You'll walk straighter, live bolder, and find out who you are. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. I am really glad that you guys keep tuning in week after week to hear some of these amazing conversations that we've got happening here. <laughs> I love uh, being able to talk to people of all different backgrounds, people of all different perspectives, and it's really added a lot to my journey as a man, and I'm hoping it's adding a lot to yours as well. I can tell you I really appreciate you. I really do. Hey, guys, I want to give you a quick plug for our Manlyhood Apothecary Beard Oil. Go to manlyhood.com slash store and you can get this. It's good stuff. It's made with CBD oil. It's got a lot of other great smelling oils in it that'll keep your beard luxurious and it'll make your lady say, ooh, you smell nice. I promise. <laughs> so go to manlyhood.com slash store and check it out. Gentlemen, today's guest, Ben Colloy, served in the Marine Corps. And he and his wife have got three kids. And his journey to become a better father, a better leader for his home has helped him find a purpose. And it's uncovered this new passion that he has, which is helping other men like you and me to become better fathers. So without further ado, here's an interview with Ben Colloy. Ben, it is great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast today. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it, man. I'm always excited to talk about this, Josh. It's a topic that even while there's a lot of people out there talking about it, there is not enough people out there talking about it because the idea of becoming a man seems so cordial to say in 2022, but it's a pandemic below the pandemics that we have and one of the core things that go back to all of our root issues in society. So I'm really happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. And, you know, it's funny because it's, I think it's been an issue for a long time, like longer than what we like. We can look at our modern culture and what's broken down and we're like, this isn't working. But, you know, I mean, Thoreau wrote years and years and years ago about the mass of men leading lives of quiet desperation. So this is this isn't a new problem, which is kind of a, you know, a, an interesting take on things to to know that it's kind of an age old problem. I've heard it said like the precipice is the industrial revolution when the identity of a man was defined as working with his hands and actually his real place was in a factory like that shift in the way our thinking took us away from the families. It took us away from what we've known for millennia and redefined it in a way that solved a lot of problems, but it culturally created a process that now we're seeing the, the really the outcomes that have been almost the decline almost probably since the fifties and every generation things get redefined, but it's been on this gradual decline of, and we're also like at a unique point where our generation is really figuring out that our father's generation, the ones that grew up in the six and the seventies, that model was wrong. 
And I don't think anyone was questioning that model, but we are questioning it now. And so 30 years from now, they'll hopefully reflect back on this is when we changed it, but it is definitely a tide that is changing. Yeah, I think that the picture of of manhood that was painted in that in our father's generation, I think that many I think there were some that got it right, but I think there were a lot that didn't. And, you know, it, there was a humility that was lacking. And I think it made it very difficult for our generation in particular to really grasp. Combined to really grasp having it. half the generation go through the Vietnam War and come home broken, like that mm. was just made another thread within the whole fabric of fatherhood and being a man that is still struggling to recover if someone hasn't broke that cycle of maybe generational trauma that that created or just a broken family. So, yeah. That war combined with all the other things and all the, fu the future wars since the Vietnam War, it uh, definitely has just continued to mix the pot. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that that's part of your story is that experience. You know, you were a, you're a vet and, and you've got some experience with that. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about, about your story. So I grew up on a farm here in Southern Wisconsin and growing up on a farm, I was sheltered. I was isolated. I had friends. I went to school. I wasn't like completely unnormal, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to the outside world. And so that also then made it difficult for me to feel like to find my place in the world. I was always kind of like a chameleon trying to find like, what's this best way to find friends? Like, oh, I have to have those three character traits. And one of those traits is an asshole. And so I must be more asshole to have friends or be more of a dick to people. And like those types, I just had a loss of who I was. And so fast forward through school, I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. And it was almost out of like a lack of an idea of where I could go that allowed me to go into Marine Corps and essentially get assigned to identity, get assigned to traits, and then ultimately have a lot of seeds planted that then took me another 10 years later down the road to grow. Because what I made the mistake was on the way out of the Marine Corps, I got out in 2007, I essentially just adopted the roads that were in front of me. The roads of get a job, your GI Bill, like the standard American dream. But fast forward to 2014, that turned into my American hell. And most men are living in American hell that's dressed up as the American dream. It probably looks like the American dream on Instagram and Facebook. But a lot of what we were told to buy into as men has led us down to these roads that just where I was, where you have a house payment, you have car payments, you have kids, you have a mortgage, you have people to provide for. It's too late to go back and try to repivot. I'm just stuck in this road. Meanwhile, you try to shove your motions down even more. You try to get through it and tough it out and just like, pretend to be okay when you're not okay. And meanwhile, this can often explode into divorces, to fights, conversations, poor relationships with your kids, maybe a lack of relationship with the kids. Maybe you just don't have one because you're busy working. And top this off with you have a society and culture of business that, by the way, rewards men for creating more of an identity at work, for spending more time at work, for accolades of like salary we assign numbers we encourage the horse and carrot meanwhile that reward prevents or actually even almost removes the pressure from dads having to figure out why they're on this wrong road and takes a lot of pressure and usually takes some type of pivotal moment where dad's like i can no longer do it this way yeah was that your experience through that as well 
I saw the reward and I was down that rabbit hole. But in 2014, like the precipice for me was I dropped out of college because I was going to night school to be electrical engineer and I failed two classes and I was like, okay, I should take a break. But what I didn't realize is when I took a break, I was like, uh Oh, this road that I was on, that degree was supposed to make it better because that's what I tell you. When you get the piece of paper, that's makes the unicorn show up. And I just said, killed the unicorns and the road to get there. So I was like, well, now, well, now what? And it was like a six month journey of like refiguring out what I was. And then figuring out that I figured out like what I really loved is leadership. It was one of the very first breadcrumbs in my journey. And I was like, I loved leadership in the Marine Corps, but they don't trust you to run the copier when you're a civilian. So I just turned all that off. And I was like, I'm really good at it. I get it. I understand it. Let's try to figure this out. And then it's another seven years to really truly figure out that and figure out what that could be. But I had my pivotal moment that year because there was also a moment tying into fatherhood and what it's like to be a man. I remember looking in my daughter's eyes when I was 30, she was two at the time, only had one kid. And I'm like, what fucking chance do I have to take you into a life if I can't even do it for myself? And there was this internal failure of like, I'm fucking up left and right here and I don't know how to stop it. Meanwhile, I have an obligation to help you become the best version of you. And it was this dichotomy. If I can't do it for me, I must be a, a bad dad or a failure as a human being because God's called me to bring you into my life and to lead you to where you need to go, but I can't even do it for myself. And there was a question that a friend gave me and it's like, well, dude, if you want a result you've never had, then you need to do something you've never done. What's that thing you've never done? And for me, it was a very simplistic answer because I was like, you know what? I've never fucking had friends in my life. And I was like, well, why don't I have ever friends? Well, you remember that time in high school where the high school girl said no, and that rejection feeling was cemented? Well, you just applied it to everybody. So you avoided having conversations with people. And for me, I was like, well, that's a really shitty reason at 30 to not have friends. So let's just cross that off. And so I was always going to the park and there was always dads at the park but I didn't have the balls to say hello to them. Cause I was like, you know what? They probably had a long day like I did. And they just want to say, hello. They just want to play with their kids. They don't want to talk to another dad. And then one day I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say hello. And it turns out we were just po both playing chicken. We both wanted to have a conversation. It wasn't even like a deep conversation. It was just regular dad banter about life, kids, you name it. And those conversations repeated over time, helped me understand more of who I could be because I eventually started getting into different mastermind communities and joining different things like the Dad's Edge Alliance. And those communities became something that I didn't realize I needed from friends. They become the mirror for what I couldn't see. In my mind, all there was was a shit show of a storm of thoughts that I'm the idiot, that I'm the only guy that can't figure out this thing fucking called life. And in reality, all my friends around me would be like, particular one particular friend who would say, Ben, the way you put words together is not like other people. And I was like, huh, no one's ever said that. I wonder if there's something to that. Fast forward, I'm now a professional speaker. So like those people revealed something in me that I couldn't see past my own bullshit. And we don't have men like that to reflect the best parts of us. We only have either absent men or we have men who just are both turning their ego on trying to see who's got the bigger dick and see who's going to have the bigger idea or the bigger salary. 
that's not what's going to make a better man. A better man's going to be made by having men around him that reflect who he is. And that's essentially my recipe for who I am today is surrounding myself with men that have helped me see who I could become, not who I was. I just saw a quote today and shared it in our men's group. Uh, and it just said, iron sharpens iron. So stop hanging out with butter knife people. <laughs> mm, that's a nice little <laughs> cute pun to that one. I've heard the iron sharpens iron, but I haven't heard the butter knife people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the truth, you know, and I, I, I love when you talk about the guy at the park and you were just basically playing a game of chicken. I, I found that it's true with just opening up to make a friend, but then also opening up into that deeper level of friendship where you can actually get to the root of your struggles and your problems and be open to talk about things. Like everybody's just waiting for it. Nobody's sitting back and thinking, man, I hope that guy says something stupid so I can call him a, a pussy. You know what I mean? Nobody's waiting for that, you know? And if they are, then they're the butter knife people, you know? <laughs> Correct. And there are people out there that the moment you have success will try to tear you down. And this is something that I think we don't realize the illusion, and I've fallen into it many times, is if you share a win with someone and their initial response is to either invalidate it or, and this can sometimes be your own parents, that they try to invalidate it, tell you why you're wrong, tell you why you're crazy. You have to realize this has nothing to do with you. And essentially the magic trick is, especially if, say, if you have, if it's an older person that tries to convince you, if you were to do what you feel compelled to do, you're invalidating the truth that they've lived by their entire life. Mm -hmm whether that be a 30 year old trying to figure out life and live, living a lie. For example, if you're a sales guy and you make $200,000 a year and you are hustling your ass off to make that 200,000 and you are working your ass off, sacrificing family time. And then you meet a guy who was in your department and quit to go do it on his own. And you try to convince him that he's wrong. What you're really afraid of is that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Not that he's wrong, is that the bullshit you're buying every day is the one that you think is the only one out there. And then you run into this guy later on and you're like, fuck, now he's making almost a half a million and he's doing it with half the time. Those are the moments that we're actually fighting when someone tears you down, but no one really sees it. And we often always take it personal. And I recently just learned this a few weeks ago. There's a cute acronym called Q-TIP which stands for quit taking it personal. And most interactions in life we do take personal when in reality is most interactions are based on someone else's bullshit, not our own. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the bottom line is, you know, when you can actually look at that, when you can get to the place where you can see that person and where the, where that's coming from, you know, it's something that's been embedded deep in them from childhood and they never figured out who they were. And so they're spending their whole life, making sure that nobody gets ahead of them. And we, we, and this is a critical part. If you haven't done the work to become a man, your insecurity will fall victim to what they're playing with. Mm. If your level of self-respect for yourself is so low that this person has a power over you while they're playing a mind game in their own life, that's where you become the victim instead of the person leading or the hero in your own life and standing up for yourself. I really recently learned this year working with a coach that one ingredient that I was really struggling with, and it took me a long time to figure this out, but it was so simple, is self-respect. No one will respect you more than you do yourself. 
And that question should be the root of all your thinking. Because if you can't look at your life and being like, fuck, this thing is I'm the, a good billboard for what a good person is. If you can't do that, all the other people around your life are just a reflection of a confusion that they don't understand why you don't respect yourself enough to stand up. Like, when are you going to start fighting for your life? For you, not for other people, but for you. And we, as men, have been conditioned that what we want is almost irrelevant because we're told to be a cog in someone else's wheel. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for most of us to accept. And some people are happy, you know, happy and content working in the factory or whatever. So I don't mean to downplay that side of it. Some people find that fulfillment in doing their work and they're happy there and that's fine. But the the bottom line is if you don't know who you are, then you're never going to be happy. Correct. I mean, that's even just knowing, I can't tell you how many times, like one of the most common easy, easily diagnosed, like when a man starts talking about it, especially in the military and really anybody who's assigned an identity, like a doctor, some Marine uniform, police officer, asking an important question is who are you without that? I can tell you there are that question scares the shit out of a lot of men that wear uniforms because they were told in order to have an identity, they needed to go put on a uniform. And they were also told that's where their value comes from. And without that, or when it's taken away, like you leave in the Marine Corps, you realize that you're this skeleton that you don't understand or know who it is. And your ego almost turns on and gets overinflated because it's a protection mechanism and it's wired to survival. And so it's going to do what it needs to survive. But that question of who you are without those uniforms, that's a question that kicks a lot of men in the nuts when it's asked of them. Well, it's funny because, you know, if you've got a guy that's coming out of the army and he's out and he's living his life, he's former army or ex-army, you know, and with the Marines in particular, like you don't say it's almost offensive to say that because they still hold on to that identity. Because I think of the way they, you know, the way that the conditioning and the way that the training is, is this is who you are. And so, you know, I know guys who are, I'm going to call just for the sake of clarity, former Marines. So they were a Marine 20 years ago, but they're always a Marine. And, uh, and there may not be necessarily anything wrong with identifying with that or making that part of your identity. But I think if that's your only identity, if you need whole, the uniform to feel whole. You're in the wrong boat. Yeah. Like being a Marine is, 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 um, the way I describe it, like becoming a Marine is fairly straightforward. Wearing the uniform has a set of rules, but actually being a Marine, I didn't learn how to be a Marine. Because being a Marine is like holding on to what you learned underneath the surface mm-hmm. until like 15 years after leaving. So like being is an entire different way of thinking than doing. Like doing the stuff the Marine Corps asks you to do, you just follow fucking orders, you get through it. But actually embodying and being a Marine, that has nothing to do with the uniform. You don't need a fucking uniform to be a Marine. People will tell by the way you walk and the way you carry yourself that there's something fucking different about you. And if they ask enough questions quick enough, they'll figure out like, oh, it's because you're a Marine. Right. And you can tell the difference, I think, you know, I, I do know some army guys that, that carry themselves in a similar way. Yeah. Um, it's the same idea. Yeah. Same issue. Yeah. But, but there's definitely that there's a difference when somebody walks in the room and you can almost always tell if they've got, got, uh, if they have experience as a vet and they have that training, especially if they have, uh, you know, combat experience and all that goes along with that. You just hinted on something there that I wanted to 
maybe we could pivot their conversation to that I often, and often took me a long time to figure this out too, is when the context of like leadership, leadership, I mean, it's synopsis with all business, it's life. I mean, I often think of like, does the world really need another leadership book? Does the world really need another leadership consultant? But then you see like a business that's like a dumpster fire or you're a friend having a story. And it's like, well, apparently there still is a leadership pandemic where it's like not enough in the world. Somehow it's still a thing. And what I often missed in the idea of leadership is we often think it's this influence of people based on these, uh, this code or this way of uh, thinking. But what I learned with my own journey, and I had this in the Marine Corps, the seed was planted, but it took me a long time. The Marine Corps would tell you, know thyself and seek self-improvement. It's one of the leadership traits that they publish in their doctrine. But I didn't understand what it meant. And then maybe like three years ago, it hit me. I'm like, oh, what that really is, is self-leadership. They don't follow me because I'm the smartest guy. They follow me because of the way that I walk and that there's something about me that they want to have rub off on them. And it's your way of being that is leadership. If you can't lead yourself, your hope of leading others is almost irrelevant. And if you're trying to grow up and be a man, diving into how are you leading yourself is a path of virtue that leads to many things that are significant. It can lead to a stronger being a husband because you are the leader of your family, not because you make the most decisions or you have the most willpower. It's because you actually have your shit together and you are capable of leading this family in business. It's because you are the CEO that works out in the morning, sets a good example for health. sets a good boundary for family. That is something about your being and how you lead yourself and your values. All of these areas are tied together. But when people often think manlyhood, they often think of the woods and flannel shirts, which has a component and a place in this journey and actually a tool set to actually lead yourself better. But it often then waters it down where I'm not necessarily, I'm a flannel guy, but I'm not necessarily a giant woods guy. And like, that part of me like is in conflict, but there's plenty of other ways that I take this journey and this road. So think of the manlyhood journey. And my definition of it kind of is relearning to lead yourself and life is an exercise in leadership, but not in others, but in yourself. And it's that one that we are called to do better every day. So let's translate that and pick up at part of your story where you left off when you're looking at your daughter and you're realizing if I can't lead myself, I can't lead you. What, what is the difference or what did that journey look like for you going forward? Like, how did you learn to do that? Lots of failure. Um, interesting enough, when you ask God for wisdom or really anything that sounds like you need strength, the irony is what you don't realize, the magic trick is God shows up with problems. And so you ask for wisdom, God gives you problems. But problems is where you get wisdom. So... For me, like part of the story was trying to figure out how to change my career from where I was at because I wasn't happy. And then fast forward to 2020 that I lost my job. So I was actually forced to figure it out faster. And it was this pressure of Corona, pressure of rewiring my identity of being a stay-at-home dad, taking care of my kids and realizing that all of those trials were setting me up to learn something and relearning how to put it all together. And also... Within that story, in 2019, I started launching Military Veteran Dad podcast. So there I started practicing putting words together. 
And now I have the Business of Fatherhood podcast where I practice putting five-minute sessions of words together. All of those helped me understand my own thoughts. And it was almost like self-therapy because in those contexts, I would understand what about my life was the meaning that I needed to understand. One universal thing that I've seen through every dad story is there's pain. The faster you find the purpose in the pain, the faster the pain it becomes jet fuel versus dead weight. And every time I talk, every time I'm doing a podcast interview like this, it always comes back to, I am learning to understand my pain on a deeper level so that way it can actually help someone else get through their pain. And by doing that, I find my purpose. And if I can live that person every day, I'm living my best life. Tell me a little bit more about that pain. Do you maybe from a personal level, just so we can take it from the bird's eye view down to practical. What, what kind of pain do you mean? So I was at, this is actually fresh. I just figured this out yesterday and I've had different versions of it. So it wasn't completely synopsis, but I was recently, I'll give some backstory. I was, re, there was a podcast I was listening to and she was talking about um, how Brene Brown, like before she became a vulnerability expert, her first thing that she studied was shame. And so that's a pain. And so she found like, you know what? Vulnerability is the solution to shame. And then I was like, well, what that, what's that one word for me? And it hit me, regret, regret and guilt, that they're two kind of tied together. There was this guilt that I wasn't being enough, that no matter my effort, it wasn't good enough. But there was also this regret that I wasn't living my best life. I was living someone else's life. And it was the regret of every day that my kids were at home and I was at work, especially now even I realize I actually just joked with my neighbor this morning because it's been beautiful mornings up here in Wisconsin. Like every morning I sit on my porch, I pray, I read, I journal. And I was joking with him. I'm like, were the mornings always this fucking good while I went to work every day? Because fuck did I miss out on a lot of good mornings. Like I can't tell you how much these mornings this summer have just really juiced me up and brought me a lot of gratitude. And I'm like, they were always there. So it's just a regret of looking back and processing that regret. But then also leaning towards actually making a choice that leans towards my truth versus someone else's truth. That was something else I've done this year is really work on my voice. And again, tying it back to self-respect, how do I voice myself in a way that isn't disrespectful to myself? And how do I stand up for myself and fight for what I want and what I believe and actually get what I want and believe in a way that makes me feel good versus defeated? Like on my worst day, my pain is I'm not enough. I'm never going to have what I wanted. And a particular story that was, it's an opening in my keynote, is sophomore year baseball. I loved baseball. I did freshman baseball. Sophomore year, I was looking forward to it. And that year, we played 98 innings, and I played two of them. And that year, a pain was started that I saw life through a chain-link fence sitting on the bench. And there was this belief that, you know what, everybody else that does the work, you know what, they're going to get on the field of life. This is my place in the world, right here on this bench. And so everything I would do was framed through that limiting belief and pain that I'm always just a sophomore year kid sitting on the bench, never going to get what he wants, never going to get to play in that field because he saw for an entire season, everybody else do the practice, everybody else show up except me actually getting to play. And that 
was a big portion of my story that I had to unpack and unwork and to realize and reframe all of that. Because within this process, I also learned through some journaling a few years ago that early in life, people push me down. But really, in reality, later in life, I learned to pull people up. And by understanding what it was like being pushed down and looking up at the world, I now understand and can see it in a dad's face well before he even sees it. And I can help him through that pain very quickly. It's almost like giving some of the cheat codes for Bowser at the first level. Right. <laughs> you understand how to defeat that guy because you've been there. That is your demon and you know how to defeat him and you know how to slay that dragon and move on to the next crucible of life. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that where when you see your role not as like your healing isn't just for you. It's for you to share with others as well. Yeah, it's when you find that purpose in the pain, that pain is then lessened in your heart. And then when you can learn that purpose, I mean, the faster, like that's one universal formula that I'm always trying to understand and do more of. And I actually learned this and solidified a watching an NCIS episode with Gibbs where he was trying to help a sniper through his trauma. And the psychiatrist helping him was like, one man's story is another man's window. And we don't realize how, because we don't have the words to articulate our own story often, someone else just sharing their story like I have, you may not have a similar story, but it may open up a window or a door in a room that seems dark. And you're like, oh, there's the fucking light switch. It might give you enough visibility to find the problem and the solution to get out of it. And that process, I mean, if you think of even like tribal stories is how we learn to pass down knowledge. Same thing in modern day. It's just one of those skills we lost when we decided to go to the factory. Yeah. So in your, uh, your work helping other men, what does that process look like? If I'm a man who's like, Hey, I need some help. Like what, what is the, how does that work for you? How do you, how do you help them through it? I always use a analogy of a GPS. So Google is an amazing tool. It can literally take you anywhere in the world and find the fastest route, but it has two inherent flaws. One, you need to know where you are. If you don't know how to plug in your location to it, it can't tell you good directions. If you don't know where you want to go, knowing where you are is irrelevant. There are a lot of men that I talk to. They know because they've been in therapy for years. They know exactly why their life sucks, but it still sucks and they don't know how to fix it. Well, what that person's missing is the destination, but a lot of men don't really know where they are. And I always equate it to like when you see those wayside maps and there's a pin that says you are here. And until you have, you don't have to have a, an exact understanding, but you need to have at least within a hundred mile radius. How did you end up where you are on this map? What patterns, beliefs, what stories in your life are you believing that led you to this place on this map? And once you understand that, it's a fairly simple process. It's about a two-week process. In that process, we understand where we are, and then we work to where we want to go. And then as a coach, coach as a coach, we are I'm like the GPS where we're Google gives you directions. We now have two points. We're going to chart the fastest path. And I'm not going to care that you had a bad day. I'm only going to advocate for you to getting your destination. Google won't care if you flipped off the driver in front of you. It's still going to tell you to take exit 35 because that's exit 35 is going to get you where you want to go. It's an unbiased but advocate to get you to where you want to go. And those two components, knowing where you are, knowing where you want to go, and having a positive advocate to keep you out of those ruts, 
Because here's what happens when you don't have a GPS. You might actually know where you want to go. You might actually know where you are. And this is essentially part of my story and why I've designed my coaching this particular way is because just because you know the two points doesn't mean you got good directions. You're still going to end up on a gravel road. You're still going to make a few dead ends. And you're often going to find those roundabouts that no matter what exit you take, you feel like you end up back in the same roundabout. And ultimately, it's those cases because we can't see what we need to see in the moments. So when you're trying to find what you're looking for and you're trying to move through those different things, understanding and having that GPS like, oh, you needed to take the exit here and here, and then you would have avoided that roundabout that's a trap. It's like the Truman Show roundabout where no matter where he exits, he ends up back in the same roundabout. If you were a man trying to be a man in 2022, there's a good chance you probably have felt like you were in the roundabout from hell at one point in your life. Most of those cases is because you don't have that advocate to help you see ahead. Because also think of it like this. Google also detects that there's an accident ahead. It finds alternative routes. It can see into the future in ways that you can't. A coach can understand because we see lots of data points. We see lots of men. We can understand from just basic working with people, where do we see these people trip off over the same time? And we were like, you know what? Nine times out of 10, most men trip up step two. Watch out. And we can engineer that. But if you don't never been through that step, you're not going to know that you need to watch out. And then we often, growth can take longer. And if you're out there listening and you've maybe been in therapy and you're wondering, like, maybe this is the first time you've heard of a coach. Or if you're thinking about even a community like Josh, the one thing that you really need to solidify underneath everything we talked about, what is the cost of time? One of my favorite questions is asking, why is it important right now to fix this? And what is it costing you not having it fixed? Now, there's some cases where it might be costing your marriage, might be costing your sex life. It might be costing you maybe a future divorce. But the cost of change is with the inflation only gets more and more. Like your problems don't get better. Diabetes doesn't get better. All of these things get worse and worse. And whether you're at stage four or stage one, stage four is a lot more expensive to treat than stage one. And all problems can almost be related back to the longer you wait, the more time it takes and the more money it takes. So think of the cost of the time that you're losing by not finding the fastest path to your destination. If you want to go from California to New York, there's a good chance you're going to make a lot of wrong turns in there. But hell, if you have GPS, you're going to get there in about 24 hours nonstop. But if you don't, there's no way in the hell you're going to get there in 24 hours. It could take a week or a month if you're trying to just use a compass and based off of road signs. Having those people ahead of you that advocate for your best self allows you to cut down on time. And time is your most valuable asset that you have. Yeah. When you were talking about that, uh, that cost, I think of uh, the axiom that says, you know, we change when the cost of or when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of the change. Yeah, I've, I love that one as well. And uh, I definitely know that's true in my life. And uh, when I find myself in those roundabouts, I keep reminding myself that you're back here because you stopped feeling the pain. And if you keep doing it, you're going to start feeling the pain again, you know? And it's almost like because you didn't identify where you were accurately enough, mm -hmm. those core beliefs get oxygen again. And when they get oxygen, they start smoldering. And if you smolder long enough, there's going to be a fire and they start burning and creating heat and energy. And now they have their own momentum. Understanding these, I mean, I can't tell you how many things I've understood, but then failed to actually get past. And ultimately those is because I didn't go deep enough on like, what was that core belief? What was the driving belief on that? And 
if something has come back up once or twice or three times in your life, you didn't dig deep enough on what was the true roots of that thought that you needed to expose. Well, and it's like we men love to ignore problems. <laughs> and we're, yeah. that's why I said we're rewarded for it. Like that's yeah. the most, the crux of this problem is society literally rewards you for buying into the capitalist system and avoiding all the shit that's degrading our family society as a whole. And it makes zero motivation unless a man wakes up and realizes on his own, there's the, the drug of going every, every day to a place where you get issued money is pretty strong. But there is a quote by, I think George Clooney, I see on Instagram a lot and it always goes, how much did they pay you to give up on your dreams? Most men don't think about that until they're 50 or 60. And they're like, you know what? They paid me about $75,000 a year to give up on what I wanted to do most of my life. And now my life is mostly over. Yeah. When you talk about that change for you and the difference for you, if we get personal into your own story, uh, what does your relationship look like with your kids now? So my I feel like if I were to give myself grace, the relationship has always been semi okay. It's just this internal that I know I could do better. And what it looks like right now, I would say it, cause now even since 2020, I'm still at home, still working from home, still have spent summers, still do things. It's being able to say yes more, being able to just be involved more when it happens or being there when they need a hug, being there when they need someone to comfort them. My wife's a kindergarten teacher, so she's often very busy during the summer, so, or not in the summer, but in the school year. So I'm the one generally holding those angles together and being an advocate there and being that place where they can talk about anything. There's going to be a moment in the future where they're going to be at a party and they're going to be in a moment of like, you know what, I feel like I need to get picked up. They're going to remember how I reacted when they were younger. My kids are 10, 7, and 6 right now. They're testing me right now. And so right now, the relationship looks like I'm trying to be as present as I can to show them I'm always going to be there because I know the issues are going to get heavier. And I had this thought recently as we went to the pool, I think, one day, and I just said yes to it. I'm like, it feels really good to be willing and able to decide where I am. Now, it sounds like a interesting way to put all that, but where I am, do you have a choice on that? Like, is that a thing that you're worried about? Because most men do not have a choice of where they am, where they are, but I've intentionally designed my life so I can design where I am, whether it be at a lake with my kids on a weekday or whether it be the beach or whether it be the, the pool, I've intentionally set up my time where I want that. And I will find a way come hell or high water to prioritize that over buying into a 40 hour work week. Now there's nothing wrong with a 40 hour work week that works for a lot of people. But for me, my heart was wired to be with my kids. I felt it. My wife went to China for 10 days and I was a stay at home dad for 10 days, took vacation. I had a dad hangover for six months and everything that I did at work, I was just like, this shit doesn't matter anymore. And I couldn't find meaning anymore because I was like, I just want to be with my kids. Like that's where I felt called to. So listening to how your heart's showing up and where you're feeling called to is extremely important. Understanding where you go in your life. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of dads might not be ready to spend that much time with their kids, but. <laughs> I agree. It, it's not easy. And there are days where the house feels like it's burning down, but there, I'm anchored by this thought. I don't think I'm wrong. So I just anchor it and hold on and hold faith. But I know when I'm 50, I'm never going to remember the bad days. 
I'm only going to remember the days I'm there. Yeah. And if I'm not there, I'm only going to remember the time I didn't say yes. So I anchor on that. When I'm 50 looking back, I'm never going to wish I went and replaced my big salary. I'm never going to wish that I spent more time trying to hustle. I'm never going to wish I did any of those things. I'm always just going to wish I spent more time with my kids. So it's difficult to anchor in that because it's not easy. And it's often challenging because you're not a skill set that you're issued. And but that's the reality is nobody's issued the skill set. And every day I'm figuring out how to parent my oldest daughter who I've never parented that age before. Like it's a journey and not taking it personal is almost a way to detach from it. Like um, understanding if your kids or emotions are separate and like, there's a whole journey on my parenting journey that I've had to go through to calm down, grow up and figure out how to, be the billboard for who I want them to be from an emotional standpoint, from a reaction standpoint to the voice and tone reaction, not yelling. Like all of that was a separate category that I had to go through in the last two years to get here. So I like to ask all my guests a few questions and I feel like this is a good interview and I've enjoyed this conversation so far up to this point. I'm sure we'll enjoy it afterward, but it kind of makes me think we need to have you on again in the future so we can talk some more. But, <laughs> but I like to ask all my guests these questions when we, when we get to this point in the interview and uh, we get a lot of different answers and I think that kind of makes it fun. But the first question, Ben, is what does it take to be a man? To me, I'm going to boil it down to one word willingness to get better to me it like what i didn't get right was understanding that the difference between someone who's on the couch in the morning or in bed in the morning and at the gym is their willingness like you can be it comes to, like your life comes down to what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do and anchoring in the willing to get better i mean no man even if you look like the billboard perfect alpha male even they're not completely better. Like there's always this path of growth. And if you're willing to enter that growth, to me, that is the most basic definition that I know. Excellent answer. Now let's say we can suspend the, the laws of physics and time for a moment. And you're able to walk into a room or uh, 10 year old, you walks into the room and the two of you are together and you've got a chance to talk to 10 year old Ben. What do you want him to know? I want him to know that it works out better than he could ever imagine. And I also want him to know that and lean into that. Hello is the most powerful world. Your word you will ever learn. Say it enough times and you'll change your life because at around 10, I was not making friends. I was not introducing and going into conversations. I was retreating and it would only continue to get worse. So if I would have encouraged myself say hello more because I would have met someone along that journey much faster that could have helped me get better and understand who I was and who I could be. Hmm. That's a good answer. <laughs> ben, what is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Most men feel like they're in a desert of opportunity and tying it to the previous advice that the amount of opportunity that you feel in your life to change it it's directly proportional to the amount of new conversations that you're introducing into your life daily, whether it be a podcast, whether it be hello. I often describe it like that the amount of new conversations that you have is directly proportional to the amount of optimism, the amount of opportunity and the amount of hope you have in the future. 
And most men feel hopeless because they're not talking to anybody. Once you start talking to someone, then you can begin to see the world differently. And every time you do that, repeat that enough times, you'll be able to see the world differently enough on how you could fit into it in a way that you haven't understood before. But most people only see it throughout their life as they've been experienced, and they assume that's how it's supposed to be. I can tell you many conversations where I was right on the other side of hello, and I'm like, whoa, well, I can never unhear this. Because they either said something, they told me how they live, they told me how they set their life up, and I'm like, I can't undo that. And that's allowed me to live a wider, a wider life as well. And there's two things to close out that I often think within that opportunity that people get hung up on that people don't spend enough time doing is we don't have enough wide enough view of the world. We don't have enough depth of who we are. So always think in conversations is how you add width. So continue to say hello, continue to get width, continue to ask better questions of yourself. Who am I? Where am I going? Who am I becoming? Build depth of your soul to get down to that roots of what that soul is asking for. You do those two things, you'll change your life. Hmm. That's excellent. Good stuff. Hey, so if our guests want to get in touch with you, they want to follow the work that you're doing, what is the best way for them to, to plug in with you? My website is bencolloy.com. It has my two podcasts, Military Veteran Dad and The Business of Fatherhood there. And it also has a free, what I call, design your legacy call of helping you design that future pin on the Google Maps and to figure out where it is you could go if your life wasn't the thing holding you back. Awesome. I'll make sure to link that and, uh, and all your links there in the, the show notes. So if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be in the description. If you're listening on a podcast, it'll be in the show notes and at our website. So uh, our guys can definitely connect with you. And uh, I really appreciate the time you spent with us today, man. I appreciate that as well, Josh. And uh, I love these conversations because every dad who listened to this has a chance to change their life. And there's many stories, if you dive into it, where a single person, if they didn't exist, the world would be completely different the way it is. So one man can make a difference. And you could be that man if you listen and take heart to what Josh and I are talking about today. Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ben. You are the man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. Ben, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here on the Manlyhood Mancast. Guys, make sure you check out the show notes for the work that Ben is doing. Maybe he can help you with where you're at. Uh, definitely appreciate your perspective, man. Thank you for spending some time with us. The rest of you guys, again, please don't forget to check out our Manlyhood Apothecary Beard Oil. We've also got a contest right now that's going on uh, up until December 6th, I believe, where we're giving away a, a fantastic assortment of Christmas ornaments, homemade Christmas ornaments, uh, artisan Christmas ornaments, really, with leather and wood made by my brother, uh, at Haven Designed. And if you go to manlyhood.com slash contests, you can sign up there. Uh, we're going to be giving away a lot of stuff this year. So make sure you keep going back to manlyhood.com slash contests. We've got uh, a, like an amazing handmade knife that's going to be on there very soon. And we've got um, a Valentine's Day package that we're going to be talking about soon. But for right now, make sure you go and you enter out. Uh, you enter for that Christmas giveaway. I can't wait to see who wins this. I think you're really going to love it. And make sure you support Haven Designed as well. So if you go to Etsy, you can look up their store, Haven Designed, and see the amazing work they're doing. Again, that information is in the show notes as well. But guys, I just want to encourage you. I know that things can be hard. I know things can be tough. I know that being a dad these days has to be 
probably one of the most difficult times in history to be a father because it seems like everybody's trying to tell the world that dads don't matter. But the honest to goodness truth is they do. So if you've got kids, whether you live with them or not, invest in them. Do what you got to do. Make it happen. Be there for your kids in whatever way you can so that they can turn out to change the world. Honestly, I don't think that we're going to change the world. I think it's going to be our kids and their grandkids that are going to change the world. But it starts with us. It starts with raising good kids. So please invest in them. This is a generational investment. So take the time to do it. Guys, I love you. I care about you. I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. 